Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. John chapter 6, our text today, I'm going to read through verses 22 through 34. Uh, we'll focus in on those today, and we'll probably pick up next week on verse 20, 34, rather, and, and move on through this passage. But John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22, and the Bible says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, or you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again today and we thank you for this privilege that we have to be in your house we thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough that you have revealed yourself to us. You have left a, left a record for us to study, to understand who you are and what it is that you're doing in the history of humanity to bring about redemption of human beings, to reconcile us to yourself. We ask, Lord, as we engage your word this morning, that you would use the person of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth that you would give us ears to hear and minds to comprehend and that this word would become that implanted seed in our inner being that would change and transform us into the image of Christ. And Lord, as always, I ask that you would use this feeble vessel to bring glory and honor to your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we started this chapter with a miracle that is in 
all four of the Gospels, so it is important for us to understand the significance of this particular miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, or as we talked about, probably in the neighborhood of twenty to 25,000 people, if you count the women and the children, <clears throat> that would have been there. And this entire chapter is the unfolding of the significance of what Jesus is trying to get across with this bread, in the blessing of the bread, and the multiplying of the bread. If you think about the word bread, the word artos in the Greek, it's used 24 times, I think it is, in the Gospel of John. 21 of those times are in John chapter 6. And if you take into account the mention of loaves and food in John that are not specifically, or in John 6, that are not specifically the word artos, you probably would have at least 24, 25 references to this idea of bread in this chapter. And everything that Jesus is about to begin to tell us is helping us understand what he was doing or what he, the picture he was painting when he multiplied that bread and brought those 12 baskets of leftovers we even know, it, it almost seems as though the walking on the water was kind of just stuck in the middle of this narrative in John chapter 6. Because Jesus, as we read, uh, he sent his disciples over on the boat and he stayed on the mountain to have solitude and to pray. And he was within eyeshot of them. You know, they struggled all night long. Uh, trying to get across that seven-mile uh, body of water, and they went about three miles. The waves were beating on them. Jesus walked on the water. You know the rest of the story. But as that story ends, when you remember when we went to the, the Gospel of Mark? Mark ends the narrative in that story saying that they were utterly astonished. They were amazed. And then he has this strange statement in there because you would think that it would say they were amazed because Jesus had walked on the water right they were amazed because when Jesus got in the boat that the storm uh, the wind ceased and the boat was immediately on the other side but Mark says they were amazed because they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened everything in John chapter 6 is about this bread and Jesus is about to open up a dialogue for us, explaining to us exactly what he's trying to, te to tell us in this miracle and about this bread that these people don't understand. And the sad reality is there are a lot of people in this world today who still don't understand the significance of the bread that Jesus is talking about. So we're going to begin this dialogue, which will take us to the end of this chapter. Uh, so it'll be a couple of weeks uh, that we'll have to, a couple of more weeks, we'll have to be in John chapter 6. But it's important for us to read through uh, this dialogue. And we're going to look at this section really and divide it into two main headings. One is this idea of seeking after Jesus and seeking after him for the right reason. And then secondly, will be 28 through 33, which has to do with the surrender to Jesus or to believe in Jesus. So if you have your Bibles open there, your digital device, just follow me along in the text as we kind of open up this text and see what Jesus was trying to say to them and then what he's saying to us today. So we see on the next day, and you remember they started this journey, the disciples, at about six o'clock the previous night, okay, and they rode into the fourth watch, which was about three o'clock in the morning. So, you know, depends on how you do the math. If you're lenient on them or you give them the full scale of that, anywhere from six to eight hours they had been rowing. And this is the next morning when Jesus had walked on the water and the boat was on the other, other side. 
So this crowd that remained on the east side, you remember Jesus was ministering on the west side, then he went to the east side to try to get away from the crowds, less populated, the crowds followed him there, and they, that's when the, the feeding of the 5,000 took place. Now, Jesus has come back to the west side, the crowd's still over on the east side, and so they remained on the east, uh, on the other side of the sea, uh, that there had been only one boat there, so they knew there was only one boat, and the disciples got in that boat, and we're going to read, Jesus didn't get in the boat. They understood that. And it's important for us uh, to read the next statement of John in verse 23 because it, it wouldn't make sense if John hadn't put this commentary in there for us. But they said, hey, Jesus hadn't entered this boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away. And then John tells us that there are other boats that came, presumably that morning, maybe early that morning, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And we're going to stop. Push pause. Now, that's a noble thing to seek after Jesus, right? All of us ought to be seeking after Jesus. The question that has to be answered here is, why were these people seeking after Jesus? And maybe the question for you today is, why is it that you seek after Jesus? Well, let's read on, and, and I think we'll come to an understanding of what was in the heart of these people. Because you remember there was a time earlier in John, John chapter 2, I'm pretty sure, where when people saw the things that Jesus done, that they believed in Jesus. John said they believed in his name. But Jesus made a profound statement. Or at least John made a profound statement about Jesus. Said that Jesus didn't, the quite literal wooden translation is believe in them. He didn't believe their belief because he knew the heart of men. And he knew that they were believing for the wrong reasons. And I think the same thing we're going to find out here today. And that's the question before you. Why is it that you're seeking after Jesus? Are you seeking after Jesus for the right reason? Let's read on and see what happens to these people. When, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Why? Because they knew that disciples went by themselves on the boat. There were no other boats there. Jesus was on the mountain, but they didn't see Jesus leave the mountain and get to the other side, but here he is. So that was the question that was concerning to them. Why? How is it that you came to be here and Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that question, does he? Look, look, at the, look at the next verse. Here's what Jesus says to them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They had wrong motives in why they were seeking Jesus, and Jesus knew that. How many people in this world today have improper motives in seeking Jesus? How many people in the world today seek the blessing and not the blesser? You understand what I'm saying? How many people in this world want the benefits that Jesus can offer, but they don't want the Jesus who offers the benefits? Maybe you find yourself in that category today. May we come to the place where we seek Jesus for the right reason, for who he is and what he has done in order to bring redemption to humanity, that he is the son of the living God, and that in believing in him, we can find life eternal. 
And then he goes on in this passage, and, and we'll, we'll talk about th three or four things that we need to glean from this section of Scripture. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. Now, they're still confused in their mind, and they're going to show that, right? Jesus, this is almost like Nicodemus all over again, isn't it? Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And what's Nicodemus thinking about? Well, he's thinking about how can I get back into my mother's womb and be born all over again? He's thinking on the temporal, on the earthly. And Jesus is saying, man, I'm in a whole different place than you are. I'm thinking about the spiritual. And the same thing's happening here. These people are thinking about the temporal. You remember why, why Jesus sent these crowds away? Because they wanted to force him to become king. You, you remember what we said about that? How amazing would it be to have a king? If you were looking for a, a militant king to come and overthrow the Romans and establish Israel once again as the, the superpower of the world, how amazing would it be to have a king that when soldiers got wounded, he could heal them? Or when they were out in the field and they were hungry, he could just feed them out of thin air. They were thinking in that way. And Jesus was on a whole different plane. While food and water are important, just like the woman at the well. How was she thinking? Hey, I, I, you give me that water, I wouldn't have to come to this well every day. Right? But Jesus was talking about a whole different kind of water. And he's talking about a whole different kind of food in this section. And the people are not getting it. And the sad truth of reality is that's the world today, isn't it? Jesus is still talking about the same thing, but the world today still doesn't get it. And he goes on, this food, this food brings eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God has set his seal. We saw that with the baptism, right? When he was with John, when the Holy Spirit came like a dove and rested upon him. Behold, my son, in whom I am well pleased. What did, you, what did the father say? Listen to him. We've talked about that idea of listen in John. John uses that throughout this gospel. John uses it in Revelation. There is something about listening and hearing and understanding what God is saying. And that's going to be important when we get to the rest of John chapter 6. When we get to John chapter 10. It's real important that we understand what it means to hear what God is saying and how that comes about. Well, I thought about three things, we, or four things, really, we need to think about in this passage. One is what Jesus knows. All right, the first part of it, verses 22 through 26, Jesus knows the heart of the people. He knows why they came. He knows they had, they had misguided intentions when they come after him. He knows that they weren't coming after him because they knew he was the son of the living God and they wanted to bow their knee to him as Lord and Savior of their life. He knew they wanted to come just because they could get filled again. Because they wanted more bread. He knows why you follow after him today. He knows the intention of your heart. I think that's a good and a, and a dangerous thing, right? It's good in the sense that as his children, as we live our lives, he knows the intention of our heart. He can read it and he can understand it. But it's scary because everything that we think in our inner man, he knows. You can't hide anything from him. It's sort of like 
folks used to say, my, my dad, one, one of the good things I got from him was, you can fool some of the people some of the time. You can fool all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. You can't fool God any of the time, right? I can put on a show for you, right? You can put on a show for me, but you can't fool God. You're not hiding what's on the inside from God. He knows every bit of it. And that ought to cause you to get on your face before a holy, righteous God. Because he's already seen it, and you bear it to him. And then you trust him, and you thank him for the forgiveness that he's given you in Christ Jesus. And you follow after Jesus because of who he is, right? And what he's done to bring you reconciliation to God the Father. What, what does Matthew tell us? Probably getting ahead of myself in my notes, but you remember Matthew tells us, Matthew chapter 6? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you, right? But what's our problem in this world? What's our problems as Christians in this world? Too many times we are seeking after the things of this world rather than seeking after God and trusting him to give us the provisions we need for life. I think we get, we get it all backwards sometimes. What are you seeking after today? Let's go to the second thing before I uh, completely abandon my notes. <laughs> what Jesus forbids. He, he says, don't strive for the temporal, right? Don't, don't look for food that perishes, is what he says. Don't strive for the temporal things in this life. Seek after the things that are eternal. Another place the Bible tells us that to lay up for ourselves treasures where? In heaven, where moth and doesn't destroy and rust doesn't destroy. And it, it, it drives me to this question in my life today. And maybe it's a question you need to answer in your life today. What is it that you are striving for today? Are you striving for money? Are you striving for prestige? Are you striving for popularity? Are you striving for comfort? May we spend our lives striving, as Paul says, to know Christ and him crucified. And then trust Christ to give us the things we need for our life. Now, that doesn't mean we, we sit back and, and don't go to work and that kind of stuff. No. You remember we, we talked about that a lot when we were in the Ten Commandments. Work was part of the created order, not the curse. God intends for us to work. But even in our work, how should we be laboring in this world? We should be laboring as unto the Lord, right? Yeah, I have an earthly boss. You may have an earthly boss. But we're not there to merely satisfy our earthly boss. We're there to bring glory and honor to God and his kingdom as we engage in this world in, in our area of work, right? When I work or when I go shopping or when I go to school or whatever it is I may do, what, I, what needs to be on display is this is how Jesus would work in this occupation. This is how Jesus would be a student in this school. This is how Jesus would be a, 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 a person who's buying food at Walmart. 
whatever it is. We show the world how Jesus would live in, in the shoes that we're wearing. That's what it means to seek after the kingdom of God. That's what it means to set our minds on the things that are above. And that's really uh, the third thing is what Jesus charges. He says, set your mind on the things that are eternal. Don't, don't strive after, don't work after, don't pursue uh, food that perishes, but the food that endures to, till eternal life. And what is that food? Well, we'll learn later on that food is ultimately Jesus Christ. It is he himself that brings us eternal life. And then the fourth thing was what Jesus provides. He's the one who provides the eternal life. And here's the reality of it. Everybody in this building, everybody who hears the sound of my voice, if it's on a podcast or wherever it may be, we're going to live forever. Everybody. Lost and saved. The question is, where are you going to live forever? And you make that decision today. You don't make it when you die. You don't make it when he comes back. You make that decision, that decision today. And then you live in light of that decision. If you're a believer and you bow your knee to Christ, then you live for the kingdom of God the rest of your days. And everything you do on this world ought to center around the fact that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. First, Right? And every decision you make in this life ought to be because of or in light of the fact that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. All right. That was the first section, seek after Jesus. The second section, verses 28 through 33, is surrender to Christ. So look, look what they say now. Jesus says to them, don't seek after or strive after or labor for the food that perishes, but labor for the food that brings eternal life. And then he says, it is the Son, the one whom God sent, that's going to provide this eternal life. And then listen to what they say to him. Then they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And again, maybe I'm not reading too much into this, but if you look at the way Jesus answers this, the implication almost seems to be that they're still thinking, what kind of labor on this world do I need to do to make myself righteous or in good standing with God? Wasn't that the, that, wasn't that the heart of the Pharisees? The heart of the Pharisees is, how many boxes can I check on this law to make sure I'm in good standing with God? You remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He told the crowds. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll not see the kingdom of God. And that was the most astounding statement he could make to them. Why? Because when they looked to the Pharisees, you know what they saw? The crowds? They said, if anybody in this world is right with God and going to heaven, it's those guys because they are a stickler for the law of God. And what did Jesus just tell them? It doesn't matter how righteous they look on the outside. Their righteousness is not enough. Why? Because their righteousness, as Isaiah says, is as filthy rags. What was Jesus saying to them? He was saying the same thing he said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, it's not a matter of how much you keep the law. It's a matter of whether or not you've been born again. Isn't that what Paul tells us in Romans? doesn't matter if you're circumcised on the outside on the eighth day. What matters is if you're circumcised of heart. Has there been a radical change in your life because of who Jesus is? and what he's done. 
Have you been born again? Have you been brought from death to life? Because you'll never work your way into right standing with God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We'll never work our way to heaven. We'll never work our way to right standing. Because none of us are good. We're all wretched, rebellious sinners who are in need of a Savior. And if we stand in our own righteousness, we'll be found guilty. But if we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God sees us as innocent because of who he is and not who we are. And these people are still wanting to do the works in this world that they think will make them righteous. But Jesus says, this is the work of God. If you want to be made right with God, listen to what Jesus says. Believe in him who sent, whom he sent. That's an interesting way to make that statement, isn't it? We, we fear this idea of work as it relates to salvation, don't we? When we hear that sentence, when we hear these two words together, this idea of work and belief, it, sends, you know, it causes the hackles on the back of our Baptist necks to stand up, doesn't it? And it ought to. Because we know what I just quoted in, 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 in Ephesians, right? It's not by works. What is Jesus saying? You guys have heard me say this many times. The salvation call, if we want to use that language, is not a request. It is God's command to a lost and dying world to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Well, because God's word says that. Listen to John 3.36, right? John 3.36. You remember at the end of John chapter 3, he had just talked to Nicodemus. You got to be born again. He says, those who believe in Christ, they're not condemned. And those who don't believe in Christ, they're condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then he gets over to John chapter 30, or the verse 36 at the end of that chapter. And he says in verse 36, if you have believed in him, in Jesus, then you have life. But he says, if you, then it changes. John says, if you have not obeyed the Son, you don't have life and the wrath of God abides on you. Why did John use that language when he said you have not obeyed the Son? Because the gospel call is God's command to human beings. That's why Luke writes about Paul on, in Acts chapter 17 on uh, Mars Hill. Paul says that God has a commanded everyone everywhere to repent. And he has proven this because he raised one from the dead who's going to bring judgment. The gospel call is God's command. And so not believing in Christ is a disobedience. Not believing in Christ is rebellion against God. That's what Jesus means when he says, hey, here's this work. The work is to believe. Again, it's not about working your way to heaven. But if you want to know what God requires for you to be made righteous, is believe in Christ. It's to obey that command. And if you don't obey that command, you will die in your sin and you will go to a place called hell and you will suffer God's wrath for all of eternity. And Jesus is telling these people, it's not about what you do in the flesh. It's about what Christ has already done. And you need to believe in him. 
You need to believe in the one that the Father has sent. So the question before you today, have you believed in Jesus? Have you believed in the one that the Father has sent? Are you still trying to work your way to heaven because you come to church every Sunday? Or maybe you're super spiritual and you come on a Wednesday. You think that's going to get you to heaven? I think it was Billy Graham many years ago says 50% of the people that come sit in a church pew are probably lost. They're going to die and go to hell. What about you today? I, don't, I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question today. And don't be scared of that. If you're a Christian, you know what Paul tells us to do? He says, examine ourselves to be sure that we're in the faith. That's not to scare you. That's to make you understand that there is an anchor, right? And that anchor is Christ. Has there ever been a time in your life when you can go back to that day, right? Now, you might not remember the day and the hour, right? But there's a time, there's a moment in time that you have in your mind where you can say, at that moment is when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And there was a change in my life. If you don't remember that, if you don't have any recollection of that, then you need to examine yourself today to be sure you're in the faith. Because it's not because your name's on this church roll. It's not because you're sitting in this pew this Sunday. It's whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ. And so uh, they said to him, listen, listen to what they said to him now, verse 30. Here's how they respond to what Jesus says, that, hey, this work that, that, um, that you need to do is believe in the one whom the Father sent. Listen to how they respond. They said to him, then what sign do you do that we may believe in you? What work do you perform? Now, how audacious of a question is that? What have they just witnessed? What more sign do you need? Jesus was just on the other side of this sea of Galilee, and he had just fed upwards of 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. If that's not enough, I don't know. It was enough for them to say, hey, man, we need to make this guy king. But it wasn't enough for them to understand that was the creative power of God at work in this person. How many people do you know that still seek a sign? They're still looking for proof. They're still looking for evidence. You guys remember the story of, of um, Lazarus, right? The rich man and Lazarus, right? You know, Lazarus the beggar outside the gate, feeding off the crumbs, you know, just wanting what the dogs got. And the rich man in his house, having plenty. The rich man died and went to Hades, not because he was rich, just because he hadn't believed in God. Lazarus went, died and he went to the bosom of Abraham, the Bible says. You remember what happened? The rich man says, I'm in torment in these flames. And he cried out to Abraham and he says, hey, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus back and, and let him tell my brothers so that they won't have to come here because I got five of them and I don't want them to suffer what I'm suffering. And Abraham, you know what Abraham said to him? Abraham said, hey, they got Moses and the prophets. And he said, no, no. The rich man says, no, 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 uh, Father Abraham. But if they would see someone come back from the dead, surely they would believe. And Abraham said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe one coming back from the dead. Isn't that amazing? What's the greatest miracle that's ever taken place in the history of humanity? It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Over 2,000 years later, there are a lot of people who still don't believe. A lot. 
People don't believe because there's not enough, or they don't disbelieve because there's not enough evidence. We've talked about this before. Talked about it in Sunday school again this morning. It doesn't matter how many signs God does. Signs in and of themselves will not necessarily cause a person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. God's done all the signs he ever needs to do. Every one of them. And every time a baby is born, that's a miraculous sign from God, isn't it? Every time a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, that's a miraculous sign from God. He's done more than enough. It's not a matter of if there's one more sign, Lord. What's the matter is, are you willing to bow your knee to Jesus Christ? Do you love your sin more than you love Jesus? And I can't change that in people. And you can't change that in people. All we can do is point them to the Christ. All we can do is like John the Baptist did. There's one greater than I, right? Follow after him. All we can do is what John's doing for us. I'm writing these things down. I'm giving you the evidence. You have to trust. I can't make you trust. What about you today? You still asking God for proof? You still asking God for a sign? You still seeking out wonders? He's done all he ever needs to do. Will you bow your knee to the Savior? today. And then they, they give, him, give him an example, okay, as if Jesus needed one, right? They said, what work do you do? Here's what, here's what happened in the past, as if he didn't know, right? <laughs> he says, our fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He uh, gave them bread from heaven to eat. Can you do something like, what? How? They just saw him do an amazing thing with bread, right? And they have the audacity to say, hey, you know, our fathers ate some bread uh, in, the, in the wilderness, right? Can you do something like that, maybe? But it's easy for us to look back and beat them up, right? All we got to do is look at today and say, we're the same kind of people. We're the same kind of people. And listen to what Jesus, Jesus is, is, he's starting to drive home this point about this bread, right? He, he even goes back, he says, hey, it wasn't Moses it wasn't Moses that gave you that bread from heaven. And then he changes. Look, he says, but my father not gave you. What does he say? My father gives you the true bread from heaven. What has he just said to them? He says, hey, everything you remember about Moses back then, it was all pointing to me. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the fulfillment of that. You just don't get it. And he's saying the same thing to you and to me today. Everything we understand about what God was doing in the Old Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of it. He is the one it's all pointing to. He is the Savior of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the water of life. Follow after Him. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. And you will find yourself right with God. Not because of who you are or what you have done, but because of who He is. Yes. And Jesus is saying, if you want to have eternal life, you got to come through me. There's no other way. I am the way we'll see in John chapter 14, the truth and the life. No one comes through the Father but by me. And then he goes on in verse 33. Or he says, my Father gives you true bread from heaven. In verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
John's already told us that, hadn't he, in John chapter 1. This man had life, and in him was light, and this light came into the world. But what did men do? They loved darkness rather than light. Just like cockroaches, right? They scrambled to the corners of their sinfulness instead of standing in the brilliant light of Christ. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. What about you today? The bread of heaven has come down, right? The bread that offers you eternal life. Will you bow your knee to him today? Christian, the bread of life has saved you, has changed you. Will you live in light of the righteousness that Christ has bestowed upon you today? Will you be salt? Will you be light in this world today? You know, we're, we're, what is it? The 5th, I think, Miss Beth, you told me March the 5th, we're going to vote, right? Have a primary. Or, and, and, you know, the problem with us sometimes is we think that that's going to change the world. Now, I'm telling you, hey, you cut me red, white, and blue, I believe. Go vote. We are the freest country on planet Earth, and we're that way because we have the right to be able to redress our government and government and government and have free speech, and we ought to exercise our right to vote. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care who's in the White House. It will never change this world. It matters who's in your heart and who's in the hearts of humanity. And if we want to see this world changed, we will, see, we, we will be a people who live in light of the righteousness Christ has bestowed upon us, and we will share the gospel with everybody we know. And then one soul at a time, we'll see change in this world. And we'll never really see ultimate change until Christ comes again. But we can see pockets of change in lives and families and in communities because the gospel has changed them, because Christ has changed them. Will we as believers live for that, right, in everything that we do? Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this time that you've given us in your house. We thank you for your word and the power and the truth of it, Lord. Your word is living and sharp and powerful and it cuts to the very core of who we are and it never goes out void. It always accomplishes that which you send it out to do. So Lord, this morning as your word has been proclaimed and read, I pray that the Holy Spirit is leading us into truth, convicting us of, of righteousness, of sin, of judgment, Lord, and that you're drawing men and women boys and girls to yourself and that you're conforming us, you're sanctifying those of us who are believers into the image of Christ with your word. And so Lord, you have your will and your way with us this morning. Help us to be obedient to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>